right, hallelujah. Well, listen, we are kicking off the way of peace today as, uh, as Pastor Janelle shared with you. And uh, we do want to encourage you as well. I don't know, I was, I was, uh, I forgot a book, so I ran to grab it. But did she tell you to make sure and get one of these, the way of peace booklet? We've created this. This is an original study that Jason and I have, have uh, put together. And we're going to be walking through this together as a congregation for the next eight weeks. Whether you're able to, to be in a group or not, we still want you. I mean, we, we really encourage you, get in a group. I mean, we grow together. We need each other. We don't function uh, alone. We're not called unto a personal salvation to Jesus. We're called into a corporate salvation, adopted into his family. So the second commandment is huge. However, we do realize some of you, for very good reason, it's just not going to be able to happen in this eight weeks. Please still engage. Grab a book. Also, um, we set this up uh, where we've got, um, we're doing the sword drills. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But this is set up so that the whole family, we want the whole family to go through this together. So the rhythms of your day. So grab one for you, grab one for your kid, grab one for your spousal unit. Um, if you're with a friend, grab one for your friend. We want everybody to have one. And it has a daily devotional aspect of this, which is a huge part of these rhythms of the way of peace. So they are in the back. Grab one on your way out today and make sure and grab one for each person. If we run out, Janelle's going to just lay hands on them. They're going to multiply. So that'll be cool. So you might just stay by the table at the end and see how that works out. No pressure, Janelle. All right. Are you guys ready to do this thing? Here we go. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the words of my mouth. I pray that you would help me to communicate well, Lord, that this would be profitable for those that are listening right now, Lord. I count it an honor to get to speak to your great people, these saints called according to your name and your purpose and your kingdom. And I ask that as I talk about and give testimony to your scriptures, that by your Holy Spirit, it would form Christ in us, not just words, Lord, but words that bring transformation. Transformation, Lord, that brings a lifestyle of extending your kingdom in every way. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you a really gross story. Um, yeah, say the words cadaver juice. Come on, just say it. Just let it roll off. Just let it roll off your tongue. Cadaver juice. Yeah, you guys ready for this? You ready for some cadaver juice? In 1847, a, a, uh, a doctor by the name of Ignaz Semmelweis was working, and, and, and during the, the 1840s, actually, people, medicine was realizing that so much of what was going on and going wrong in our bodies was not happening in the external world so much as that when it affected us, it would happen in the internal world. And so the practice of autopsy became extraordinarily important and popular in the medical profession. And you guys, you know what, we've, we've benefited a lot from that. But everybody who was anybody in the medical field was doing autopsies. And in fact, one of the things that was sort of within the, that was within the, um, the, the practice of medicine in the 1840s was that you wanted to be a workman who, who looked like you were working hard and in fact being kind of messy with your work. People be like, oh, that's a good doctor right there. Look at him. He's literally wearing his work. I am not kidding. This was like the, the flow, okay? And what you have to understand is that during this time in the 1840s, people did not yet understand that there was such a thing as a microscopic world. That was not common 
knowledge like it is today. And so what you had was you had people that were looking for different causes. You guys do remember, right, that George Washington died because he got a flu, and then they decided, well, the problem with you is you just got too much blood in your body. Let's just drain some of that out. And he literally died as he was being bled out because that was a common medical practice. Thank God that we learn from <laughs> mistakes and move forward. But are you understanding what I'm saying? Like so many things that are just accepted at this point were things that we used to die from not that long ago. Yeah, let that sink in, right? So, so, here's, so here's this doctor, Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis, and during this time where, the, where medicine, they're, they're learning, they, they're seeking to see people established and live longer and better lives. Doctors are, are working on cadavers and figuring out how we, how we work and what happened and what went wrong. But during that time, what, what Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis noticed um, in the, is, is that there was a tremendous amount of women who were dying right after childbirth. And they were dying from, I believe it was a fural fever. It was, they were dying from a fever, and what they would do is they'd get abscesses, they would get a fever, they would get infections um, in the birthing area, and they would die about three days later. And they're going, this is horrific. In fact, at that time, one of the main ways that people died was in that way when, when, you, when you had a mother that was dying after giving birth. And, and, um, and so he was very troubled by this because he's a doctor. He got into being a doctor to save lives, and so he was very concerned about this. And so he began to do a study, and what he found was that, um, was actually that the hospital where he worked, they had way more mothers, uh, fatal uh, maternal deaths, way more mothers that were dying in their hospital than they were in the midwifery. So he was studying like the midwife joint and his joint, and he noticed, wow, our death rate is way higher. What is it exactly that's different here in the hospital than it is with the midwives? Because they're having a way better success rate, and, and they're not having all these mothers dropping dead. Like they have a couple, but we got a ton. What is the difference? And, and finally, what ended up happening where he, where he recognized, like, wait, something is up, is he noticed that one of his fellow doctors, while they were working on a, actually on a cadaver of someone who had died from the very fever, one of the mothers that had passed, he was working on her cadaver, and he cut himself, and then he got that fever, and then he died. And suddenly, Dr. Uh, Semmelweis realized, wait a minute, it's, the, it's actually the cadaver juice that's causing these mothers to die. And he began, he was the first one in 1847 that said, wait, there's something going on inside of these dead bodies that you guys need to make sure that after you work on a dead body, you need to wash your hands specifically with this chlorine solution. And here's the quote, until you can no longer smell what you just were working with. In other words, till the smell of death is off your hands, don't touch a woman and her baby because it'll kill her because you have cadaver juice on your hands. You need to wash them. This is not even fiction. Isn't that terrifying? I mean, it's just terrifying to think that there was a time when doctors were going from a dead body and then just walking over with cadaver juice all over them and delivering a baby. And then when mom dies from infection, they're kind of like, I wonder what happened. Like, what? That's, that's weird. You know, it, it, the, the, the terrible part of this story, by the way, is that Ignaz Semmelweis, po or he, 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 he shared his findings with his fellow doctors. And they were 
ecstatic, and they just thanked him. Thank you, Dr. Semmelweis, for sharing this life-giving information with us, and he won a Nobel Peace Prize and was celebrated to this day. No, actually, that's not what happened. That's what should have happened. What did happen was his fellow doctors were absolutely outraged that he was telling them that they actually were the ones who were killing the women when they were delivering their babies because of their current practices. And so they got him fired, and then they threw him into an asylum where he then was beaten and died of, an, of a blood infection. And it wasn't until 20 years later that Louis Pasteur made and published and made popular the understanding that germs, that bacteria, are what infect us. And then people accepted that you need to wash your hands. Can you imagine, and here's what's really interesting, I don't want to vilify anybody, but how many of you does that story just make you so angry? Like seriously, raise your hand if there's a sense of anger and injustice that rises up in you. If it wasn't enough that, you, that we're upset that, that, that these doctors were killing women, which is just flipping horrible all by itself, but then the same community that came to save lives that got into this because they want to know how to save lives were so angry that rather than taking responsibility that they, with, you know, un, un, they didn't mean to, like without, without malice, they were killing some people, but rather than saying, oh my gosh, we need to change our practices, they killed the messenger. They're like, how dare you? How dare you question me? You know what? You're fired. In, fa in fact, that's not even enough for us because you're publishing that our current practices are actually killing people. We're throwing you in an asylum. You're dangerous and you shouldn't be talking to people about it. They threw him in an asylum where he was then beaten, which, come on, there's some collusion there. And then he dies. And then, 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 years later, almost 20 years later, that's when then people are willing to accept this. 20 years of killing women because because we refuse to look at that maybe cadaver juice shouldn't be on our hands. It's infuriating, isn't it? It's a horrific story. Let's pray. That's, we're going to go home. I just want you to think about that till next week. I'm just kidding. It's a horrible story. It's a horrible story. But, but here's, here's, what I, here's what I want us to catch a hold of. In, in, in the scripture, it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They have rejected knowledge. In this situation, those doctors, there was a time where they were destroyed for lack of knowledge, but then they were destroyed because they rejected knowledge. Jeremiah 6, 6 says this. He says, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look. Well, no, wait, before I get to that scripture, I'm going to get to that in just a minute. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Here's what I want to mention about this. This is in 1847 that Ignaz Semmelweis discovered, discovered that you should wash your hands. 3,000 years before that, 3,000 years before that, God gave us through the instructions to Moses that you were not to tr touch a dead body and then not be cleansed, that you were not to touch blood and then be cleansed, taught us about hand washing and sanitation, and also taught us about quarantine. That if you were infected with, with everything from different diseases to touching a dead body, that you actually were to be quarantined for a season to make sure that you weren't carrying bacteria. Now, was it ceremonial? Yes, but it was practical as well. And this was, this was in a nation that acknowledged the teachings of Jesus Christ. And yet, and yet, these guys were still operating and living from a perspective that it was 
seemingly appropriate to walk from working on a cadaver to delivering a baby with cadaver juice on your hands. It's a dead body, it's blood, it's it, the whole thing. Like, how is this, how is it that we were able to still perish when it was already available? And it had been available, guys, for 3,000 years, and those very people still said, let's wait 20 more years before we accept this. I was actually thinking this morning what it must have been like for the doctors later when Louis Pasteur came and it was then accepted. Think about those doctors that are like, dude, we, we uh, remember Semmelweis? We straight killed that dude. I mean, just, I was just thinking about that. Like, like, that's during your career. There were career doctors where the whole thing changed. And I wonder what happened with them. I don't know. But all I know is that that's a fact. Why am I mentioning this to you? I'm mentioning this to you because I, 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 this morning as I was preparing and, and going through again what I, what I knew I was going to be talking about, this story came to my mind. The, the Lord reminded me of this story of, of Ignaz Semmelweis, and, and I'm going, oh, okay. <laughs> it's a horrible story, Lord. Why are we talking about this? And I felt like, I felt like, Here's why. I felt like because we oftentimes want to sidestep or take lightly the knowledge that God gives us and act innocent as though like, no, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. I, why, gosh, I, I don't understand why the people that I'm around are perishing. I don't understand why I'm perishing. I don't understand why I don't really live an abundant life. I mean, one just can't really know. I don't know. I'll just keep doing my best. But, uh, but I'm innocent. I mean, I'm innocent. And the Lord is saying to us, no. No. When you're perishing for lack of knowledge because you are rejecting knowledge, it's not because of, of ignorance anymore. Can you receive that? I mean, this is harsh. This is a spanking, but it's, we're going to get a hug. But the Lord loves us, right? How many of you guys know that if we're not, if we're not rebuked, then that means we ain't got no daddy, right? It says, but the Lord, he is treating you like children. Therefore, he is disciplining us for our own good. So it's important, first of all, that we just say, oh, God, search me and show me if there's a wicked way within me. Show me if there's a practice that I have that's actually killing me and the people around me that's affecting them. Like, I'm trying to bring birth and help mothers and help babies to be born, and yet, what I've noticed is a lot of the mamas keep dying. And a couple of my friends are dying. And also, I don't feel very good. Why, what, Lord, this isn't really working. G.K. Chesterton says this, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. And a lot of us are like, man, I don't know really what's going on. Like, I started out kind of strong, and I prayed a prayer, but, like, I just don't know if this stuff really applies to what's going on today. I just, you know, I mean, I'm just kind of, like, figuring it out, you know, but just, I don't know if it's really working, you know. I don't know. I, I just really have a lot of questions right now. And it's like, okay, listen, here's what the Lord says to this. Here's what the Lord's calling to us right now. Jeremiah 6, 6. Thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads. Oh, we can bring this up, yeah. Uh, I must have given you the wrong scripture. Okay, it's in the Bible and it's in Jeremiah. <laughs> Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You see, God has already given us a path to walk in. God has already invited us to have life and life abundantly. God has given us Christ Jesus and he's given us the, the Torah and the New Testament and he said, come. 
You remember last week, this, and I'm going to say it again today, that Jesus said, come to me, you that are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest and I will teach you my way. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and let me teach you my way. See, his way is not hidden to us. The way that we can live abundantly is not hidden from us. But the question is, will I learn from the Lord and then will I change my practices, say practices, my practices to match the life of Jesus and his followers over the thousands of years, the ancient ways that will bring our souls rest, or will I continue the practices of walking around with cadaver juice on my hands, and not only am I not helping, but I'm actually infecting the people around me with instead of the abundant life of Christ, I'm actually getting cadaver juice on them. I'm actually infecting them with death instead of bringing the light and the life and the peace of Jesus Christ who brings rest for their souls. And why am I doing that? Because I refuse to change my practices. Not because I don't believe that God is good. Not because I don't want to save lives. But because I refuse to change my practices. Can you receive that word? And will I persecute those? Do I find myself persecuting those who come and point towards the words of God, towards the life of Jesus, that where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for by me. Choose the narrow way, which means limiting your options to the options that I'm calling you to. Are you guys with me? You see, this is an all or nothing commitment. We're either all in or we're not in. Jesus said, you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom. He's not saying you're not worthy of the kingdom. He's saying that's not how you roll in the kingdom. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back anymore. Okay, so if you've been looking back, just repent and stop looking back. Are you with me? So there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. It seemed right to be operating on cadavers and learning things. That was good. But then I went from the cadaver to helping in another situation and I never washed my hands and instead of bringing life, I brought death. Beloved, a lot of us in our practices, we're doing the right thing here, we're doing the right thing here, but we're not doing the right thing here. And instead of receiving life, we're actually receiving and giving death and we're teaching other people to do it. There's two fish, they're, fly, they're, they're swimming through the ocean in the morning, and an older fish comes their way. The two fish are swimming. This fish comes in and goes, how's the water, boys? And the one fish looks at the other fish and goes, what's water? You see, a lot of us don't realize that we live in a culture that's the water that we live in, the water we swim in, the culture that we swim in says, it doesn't matter what you do or how you do it as long as you believe it. And we live like that. We actually practice cadaver juice kind of life that has to do with the Satan because it says the whole world is under the influence of the evil one. But not so with you, beloved. Come to me and I will teach you my ways, says Jesus. It's a different way. He doesn't say, come to me and we'll figure out what works for you. Sprinkle me in if you've got time. Go ahead and receive me up to your level of desire, design, and expectations, and I'll make it cool for you. No, he did not say that at all. He said, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. You have to be born again to even see my kingdom. 
You have to sell everything, buy the whole field, have nothing else except for that pearl of great price, and I will give you life and life abundantly. You only gain a hundred times more in this life and the next if you lose what it is you're holding on to. Can you guys receive this word? If you can receive this word, I'm going to move on to what we're practicing. Or I can start over. Does anybody need another round? All right, we're done with the spanking, as Janelle says. Let's go to the hug. How many of you guys have ever met with Janelle and got the spanking and the hug? Anybody? She's like, I'm going to give you a spanking and a hug. You're like, when I first started working here, I wasn't sure what was happening. But now I use that language. We're invited to learn from Jesus Christ. How many of you here can accept that, it would, that Jesus' life would be a good life to replicate and follow? Amen? Follow Christ. Let's follow Christ. Let me read a couple of scriptures here. Mark 1, 35 says this, Having risen early, he went out to a solitary place to pray. Having risen early. Jesus was copying David, where David says in Psalm 5, 3, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. Jesus would rise in the morning and he would go spend time with the Lord. He would rise sometimes at night and spend time with the Lord. When he was in the midst of, of, of ministry, it says that he would take the disciples, go away to a solitary place to rest, to refresh, and to pray. Jesus began his day with the Lord early in the morning. Say early in the morning. All right, come on. In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus, when he was teaching us how to pray, he said, when you pray, enter into your closet in secret and God will answer you in public. Come into the secret place with me. Come into the secret place. Go into your closet and make your requests unto the Lord. He was in the habit. In some of the scriptures I like it, it says, as was his custom. There's a great one. As was his custom on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. You guys, this is us in the custom of Christ, as is our custom, we enter into the synagogue. We don't have to go to the temple anymore because you all are temples. We take the temple into the, into the cities and into the nations. You guys are filled with the spirit of God. So you take the temple everywhere you go, but we come together in the synagogue and we stir each other up to good works. We worship the Lord, amen? But that's a whole nother sermon, but you're welcome. As was his custom. See, Christ was in the custom of rising up early and spending those first part of the day with the Lord. He gave the first fruits unto the Lord. And this, this again, this shaped the way that God worked in this life. What I would like to suggest to you is that scripture where it says, it says this. The scripture says something really good. The scripture says that we wash her with the water of the word. And we're the bride, okay? In, the, in, that, in that scripture, Paul's talking about husbands and wives, love your wife like Christ loved the church who died for her. We're talking about the bride, talking about us, who died for her and washes her with the water of the word. You and I are consistently in this world, right? Jesus prayed, I don't pray that you that take them out of the world. I want them to be in the world, but I don't want them to be of the world. So how do we be in the world, but not of the world? We allow Christ in his presence to wash us daily in the water of the word. We go from diagnosing finding the issues. How many of you guys are excited of what God and we together are doing in the area of true reconciliation in race? 
That's amazing. How many of you are glad that we're going in and looking at systemic issues in human trafficking? That's amazing. How many of you are glad that God is exposing power structures and political things that need to be just opened up and have God speak to that and we're right in the mix of that? How many of you are glad that you're doing that? How many of you have noticed that there's a whole lot going on, though, that is very, there's like the good, the bad, and the ugly present, in, in, and these are just a few of the things that are going on right now, where we're in there dissecting the issues, dissecting what's going on, and God's bringing life out of it. He's bringing, he's bringing solutions out of it. But how many of you know we're also having to, like, dig down deep into the cadaver of our history and our present, come on, so that we can birth something new? So that we can help God birth something new. How many of you know that we're midwives, right? We're called to work here. But what happens when I go from digging down deep into this and I got cadaver juice all over me and then I try to turn and I'm trying to help deliver something new and I haven't washed? What's going to happen? And how many of us are living like that? We're, 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 we're literally turning from this, turning straight over here to this, and we're missing this. And instead of bringing life, we're bringing death. Instead of bringing peace, we're bringing anger. Instead of bringing solutions, we're bringing more anger. How many of you can receive that word? And the Lord is saying, not so with you. I've actually given you a practice. Say practice. I've given you a practice in this life so that you will be people of peace. That you're in the world, but not of the world. You guys know that it says that the wrath of man cannot accomplish the righteous requirements of God. We have to be a people of peace. And the only way that we can do that is to actually be present with him and let him wash us with the water of the word. And that's daily. That's more than once in a day, but it's, it's, it's daily. It's, it's the word of God, the word of God that, that washes me, that, that, that straightens out the motives of my heart. It confronts me and it comforts me. It rebukes me and it, and it rejoices me. Are you guys with me? It, he's in it. He's in it. But how many of you guys know I can't do the righteous requirements of God if I don't even know what they are? I can't, I can't be convicted by a scripture that I don't even know what it is. I can't be washed by water that I don't even get near me. I believe in the idea of washing my hands. I just don't do it. Amen? So let's not perish for lack of knowledge. So, so, so how does this work? Well, one of the things that I'm, gonna, that, I'm, that I'm saying is that we take, first of all, we take, first of all, that we begin the day with him. We begin the day with him. Now, are there some of you that you work nights and you're like, I just can't. I can't. That's actually, that'd be ending the day for me. Great. Then end the day with rejoicing and go to sleep. But when you wake up, let the first thing that you do be given unto the Lord. I actually think there's a lot of pastors that uh, I'm just going to be completely forthright. I think there's a little too much wiggle room in this life. It's sort of like, well, just, just, just do what works for you. Well, yes, let's not become legalistic, but let's also not apologize for thousands of years of history of man with God and Jesus himself who rose early in the morning to be with God first thing before there were any other influences, any other lists, any other thoughts, any other things. 
Give him the first part, the first fruits that you have. Let him set the tone and wash you with the water of his word and give you peace so that you go into the day present and aware of his presence as opposed to, boy, I sure hope I had enough out of yesterday because the scripture doesn't say pray today so that tomorrow. It actually says don't even worry about tomorrow. Be present today. So are you going to borrow yesterday's grace in this day? I'm going to stop proving this point, but are you guys able to receive this? I'm just saying, I think this has been a loophole that I've heard a lot of believers be real stupid and essentially end up where they don't really have any intentional time with the Lord. And it starts with mornings just don't work for me. I'm not really a morning person. And I don't like to get up early enough to have time with Jesus. Well, change that. Go to bed earlier. You guys are loving this message. It, it, I, I'm not trying, I don't want to lecture you, but I do pray that these words would be cutting straight into our heart and empowering us to live the full abundant life that he's given us. Because you are the salt and light of the world. And if you're not functioning and you're not bringing the Prince of Peace, then this city is dying because it needs you. And God has chosen you to shine like the sun. And so, so, so that happens as we practice. Are you guys with me? So that's, that's where this is coming from, is you're flipping awesome, and he doesn't have a backup plan because he's that confident in his ability of what he can do in and through us. Amen? So, so early in the morning. So that's the first one. Just say early in the morning. Woo, early in the morning. Oh, yeah. All right. So then what we begin to do, what we begin to do is we take that time then Psalm 5.3, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly. I, I will look up. My voice will, he you will hear in the morning, oh Lord. In the morning, I will direct it to you and I will look up. Oh Lord. And it's okay too, by the way, you're all alone. You guys, I'm awesome now. But my first like half hour to an hour and a half, depending on how early I get up, like I don't want anybody else in it. I'm serious. Like it, I'm not ready yet. I'm like a half-baked, how many of you guys have ever had a half-baked, like half-baked bread? It smells so good. It's all crusty and yummy on the outside. And then you cut into it. You're like, this is disgusting. That's me. Every morning until the Lord's done baking me for the day. Right? Until I turn from the bread of yuck to the bread of life again. Okay? He's in me. This, this is a process. And the, here's the point. The point is that being present with him, being present with him is where our strength actually comes from. So it's not about, here's, here's where I want to shift for you right now. Being present with him causes his presence to be evident in and through and to us. So I don't get up in the morning and say, Lord, if you will make me feel so groovy right now, then I will know that this time is important to you. Oh, Lord, give me pleasure. I have tried that. It doesn't work. He won't do it. But what he does do is he comes and he's present with me and I find that in that time, by the end of that time, I am ready for the day and I am at peace. I'm not always at pleasure, but I am always at peace. Can you hear that? And that's what we're called to do. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So we must be present with him in order to do anything. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So we must be present with him to do anything. Can you receive that? 
So this silence and stillness. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about, about silence and stillness. And, and, and you guys are familiar with, I think, the devotional side of this. You're familiar with in, engaging with the scriptures. And, and I actually already taught on the sword drill, which is what we're going to use for the next eight weeks here. And I encourage you to use for the rest of your life. It's a phenomenal, wonderful way to look at a piece of scripture and to engage with it. So I'm not going to reteach that, but it's actually in the book and it walks you through. It's got some beautiful stuff in there. And we have different scriptures that we're actually going to meditate on each day. So starting tomorrow, um, this is tomorrow morning's scripture is, is, is the next day. And we've got each one and they all correspond with what we're preaching about. So you're going to be washing with the water of the word. You're going to be encountering Jesus in what we're looking at. We're on a journey together. And, um, and I want to encourage you, by the way, too, we're bringing our families with us. So this is a great time, these exercises, these scriptures. You can like after dinner say, guys, let's take a moment. Let's go through. Let's talk about what the Lord's doing. Let's practice these things together. Because we are a family that's given unto the Lord. And he is moving in and through and to us. Amen? So, so go after it with the sword drill. But here's what I want to talk about is the beginning of that is the silence and stillness part. How many of you guys would say right now that you already practice some kind of silence and stillness in your life? I'm not going to make you raise your hand. But I would dare say I bet it's, I bet it's very few of us. Silence and stillness is truly revolutionary. In fact, um... Dallas Willard called silence and stillness the two most radical disciplines of the Christian life. It's, it's just, it's absolutely like radically countercultural to, to practice silence and stillness. Do you know that, do you know Americans actually on average work more hours than any other industrialized nation in the world? We just do it by default. We do, we're not awesome. We're not awesome at being still. Isn't that crazy? Because I, I, what I'm saying, it's not, I don't know if it's crazy, I'm just saying, doesn't that kind of shock you? It's just like, what, why? Why do we do that? We are, we are addicted to busyness. We're addicted to yapping. How many of us think we're the smartest, well, we talk like we think we're the smartest person in the room. We're smart enough to say, now I know there's smarter people than me, but in our mind we're thinking, they're just not in this room right now. <laughs> but silence and stillness is where we actually come before the Lord and we begin to make space that he is the Lord and we are not. We begin to allow our soul to speak to God directly without our mouth getting in the way. We begin to submit and humble our own intellect from being the source of all thoughts and we begin to say, Lord, I, I submit that my thoughts are enough. And what ends up happening is we also, we begin to become more aware of his presence and his peace and the person of God than we are of the problems of the world, of our own dominance. We, we become set free, by the way. We become disengaged and we become, we, 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 we receive liberty from the enslavement of our own moods. Let me say this again. As we begin to practice silence and stillness with the Lord as a part of who we are and our rhythms with him, we find liberty from the enslavement of our own moods. Come on. Just think about that for a minute. Think about how often, ah, oh, I just don't feel like doing that. You're like, 
I wish I could get myself to feel like doing that, but I can't, so I just can't do this, whatever it may be. And God has come to give us liberty even from the enslavement of our own moods. He sets us free from our addiction to pleasure being the only motivation in our life, or maybe the large one. He sets us free from guilt maybe being the main motivation in our life. He sets us free from the constant, ongoing busyness of this life and begins to teach us how to enter into his unhurried rhythms of grace. We learn to abide in him. We stop our activity and turn our attention to the living God. We, we heed the words of the psalmist, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46. We choose to enter into an awareness of God's presence and rest there in his love. That choice alone is no small feat. There are occasions, this is uh, Pete Scazzaro, there are occasions where I lose my place. When I pause for my midday prayer and find that I spend the entire time, be it five or 20 minutes, simply centering my thoughts so I can let go of tensions and distractions and begin resting in the love of God. How many of you could like empathize with that, right? Just, just, just being able to just be still sometimes takes a little while to just calm down from all the tensions and the busyness that's going on in life. And what I wanna, what I wanna encourage you in is that that's what God is inviting us into, is to actually be silent and still and present with him not to accomplish anything, but to be with him that we would remember that the, that the first commandment is simply to be with him, to love him with all of our strength, all of our soul, all of our spirit, all of our mind, all of us engaged with simply receiving that he is the Lord and being present with him, not even needing anything other than the fact that he is present and in no way enslaved to my mood. I need neither pleasure nor elation, I need another. I don't even necessarily need repentance or praise. In that moment, I am simply being present with the king of the universe who desires to be present with me. This is our birthright. This is what we were born again into. This is what we invite people into is to actually be at rest. Hebrews 4 says, do not be found having not entered into his rest. Cease from striving. How many of us are striving to prove to ourselves our own worth, our own value, our own righteousness, our own repentance, whatever it is, a million different good things, but none of them the presence of God who is our heritage, our inheritance. So I want to encourage you this week to begin the practice of silence and stillness. And, and I want you to know that just being still and silent for a couple of moments a few times a day is in of itself absolutely revolutionary and you will find your life beginning to change. You'll find yourself being more aware and more like Christ because you have been with him as opposed to working for him as opposed to any other thing. Are you, are you, are you able to receive that? 
So what we're going to do is we're going to end with one moment of silence. And I want to encourage you that as you do this, at first, this could be difficult. Our internal and external worlds are filled with noise and distractions. And for this reason, spending time alone with God in silence is perhaps the most challenging and least experienced spiritual practice among Christians today. However, that doesn't justify us taking a, a, a pass if we fail to learn how to be quiet in his presence, to stop talking long enough and routine, routinely enough to listen, then we will never mature. So we want to give grace to ourselves, especially at the beginning, and remember this is countercultural. We're not used to it. The water we swim in is like on to the next thing, okay? What we're going to do is we're just simply going to take one moment. I'll even set the timer so don't be scared. It'll just be one minute. <laughs> and we're going to just allow ourselves to just breathe, to just breathe. And as thoughts come, as the thought, and they will, and I just want you to say, I just give that to you, Jesus. Just breathe it out. Don't say it, but say it in your mind. I give that to you, Jesus. And just breathe out. And we're just going to practice silence and stillness for one moment. And the encouragement for this week is as you're engaging with the scriptures, that you begin and end your time with two minutes of silence and stillness at the beginning and then at the end, in a total of four minutes. And we're going to begin to embrace and practice this to wash our hearts and our minds and get the cadaver juice off of us so that we can bring life and birth new things as opposed to killing the very thing we're called to birth. Amen? So we're learning how to wash in silence and stillness. So let us begin. Lord Jesus, we want to be with you. We give you this moment. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious to you and give you shalom. Shalom.